gospel according to John chapter 4 and we may read again at um, verse 29 verses 28 and 29 the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ What a day was this in the history of this woman. We don't even know her name. She's known as the woman of Samaria. She left her home in the morning to go to the well at Sychar, still under the wrath and curse of God. She came back to her village in the afternoon, an heiress of glory. She had had an encounter at that well with the Savior. And it's our prayer as we gather here tonight that um, we would have that encounter. There was a needs must about this encounter. Jesus, where we read in chapter 3, the, he had been at Jerusalem, and there he had met with Nicodemus, and um, we have the words that are spoken there to Nicodemus. Following the Passover, he had continued just to the south of Jerusalem in Judea, and we understand that he spent some six months there uh, baptizing and preaching the word. It was during that period that John the Baptist was imprisoned and his ministry came to an end. And um, the words, uh, he must increase, I must decrease, now came into full effect. The ministry of John passed very much into the hands of the Lord himself. And he began to preach the need to be to repent and to be baptized. Through the attention of the Pharisees who had been instrumental in the imprisonment of John, and rather than face up to the opposition, he resolved to remove from Judea and to pass back from Judea up to that native area at the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee. It would have been at least 80 to 90 miles of a journey from Judea up to Galilee. And he had already traversed some 40 miles at least by the time he came to some area that lay in his track. When we find him tired, and uh, sitting, lying down probably at the well. That's how Jesus came to be there 
The woman came to be there because, well, she came on her own, you noticed. It was usually the habit that they would come as a community. But she had such a name, such a reputation that she would be pretty much disowned even in her own community. And she was coming on her own to that well. As I've already said, the state in which she came and the state in which she left was there that she met with Jesus. And Jesus led her to salvation. And I want to look this night with you at the width of the chapter to notice how she was led into the way of salvation. We notice various steps in it. First of all, the gentleness with which Jesus dealt with her. Gentleness, first of all, in the face of the ethnic, racial hatred that she, as a Samaritan, bore to Jewish people. She would have gathered from his accent when he spoke to her, give me to drink, that he was a Jew. And there was that immediate hostility towards him. The, that hostility went back in history some 700 years to the year 722 BC. Uh, after the death of Solomon, uh, if you just allow me, uh, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two parts, the two nations of Israel and uh, Judea. And uh, they parted from one another even then. But the, the, the parting became, became even more steep between these two, two, two divisions. Uh, in 722, when Assyria invaded that northern province of Israel and took its, took, its, took its people away from that land and recolonized it with new people. The new people accepted a form of religion, but they just accepted the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, as we call it. And what's more, they set up a place of worship for themselves in what was known as Mount Gerizim, near, near where they were, near what Jesus met with this woman, whereas the place of worship had been up to then in Israel at Jerusalem. That caused a division. There was a strong division between these two parts. And this woman, Jesus, first of all, it noticed the gentleness in his approach to her, of asking a favor of her. The Lord of glory, remember, asking a favor of this poor woman, give me to drink. We don't know whether she had answered sarcastically or whether she had answered in surprise. We know her words. Why was he a... Did he not know that there was a division between the Jew and the Samaritan. The Lord let that pass. 
the gentleness is there further in the way that he seeks to lead her, seeks to lead her into a consideration of spiritual things. <clears throat> if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. But notice, the natural man understandeth not the things of God. And um, she is of the earth, earthy. She doesn't understand that it is spiritual matters he is leading her to. The living waters of eternal life. All she's concerned about is water for herself and her animals. Thou hast nothing to draw with, she says. You don't have a pitcher, and how can you how can you even draw water out of this well? That's the way she was, the level of thinking that she had. And then the Lord speaks to her again in gentleness. Again, still leading her to a consideration of spiritual matters. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. She's thinking of, as I've said already, water for her animals and herself. He is pointing her to the fountain of living waters. Just as the psalmist says, in thy light shall we see light, and that he is the fountain of life. But she is deaf to that. Notice the gentleness with which he responds to her Probably sarcastic response. Why hast how do you as a Jew speak to me as a Samaritan? The next step in his dealings with her is to fire an arrow at her conscience. Go call thy husband and come hither. This woman who has had such a sordid past, domestic past, and Jesus is firing an arrow there at her sin and her sinful past history. The arrow lodges deep in the conscience. But notice that when that happens, the matter of conviction comes to the soul, to the conscience of a sinner. Often we find he wriggles. He seeks to throw off this conviction. He seeks to get out of it. It's like a, a trout caught in a hook. He's wriggling and trying to get away. 
That's how it was with Saul of Tarsus. We believe that there was the conscience began to be pricked even at the time of um, the martyrdom of Stephen, when he was holding the garments for those who were throwing stones at him, when he heard them saying, like Jesus himself, hold not this to their charge. We know that the conscience was hurting because the Lord himself said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But so often we find that this is the way when that conviction begins to go home, the effort to throw it away. Sometimes it is by immersing yourselves more deeply in business. Sometimes it can be to immerse oneself more heavily in drink, to just get the thought of conviction out of our minds. This woman was seeking to do the same, to extricate herself from this position of the conviction, the arrow of conviction that had gone deep into her soul. And she noticed the way she tries to deflect the question. I have no husband. Well, it was the, the truth. But it was not the truth. She was trying to wriggle out of this conviction altogether. But where the Lord begins, he is going to bring home. He is going to finish that which he begins. And he deepens the conviction. He makes known to her that she has had five husbands. She's had a sordid domestic history. And you notice the next step is that this woman acknowledges him as a prophet. Prophet, one who, one who can see deep into the soul, as it were. One who can, one who would speak the words of God. She understood him to be that. He has come up a notch in her thinking, in her esteem. He started off as a Jew, a hated Jew. Now, I perceive that the word a prophet, but notice by speaking these words. There is, a con there is an admission. That is the truth concerning me that you are speaking. I am guilty of all that sin that you are speaking, accusing me of. And that is a step on in her being brought to the Lord. The Lord unmasking, unmasking to her herself. And oh, how we need that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There are so many windings in that heart of ours, and we seek to wriggle away. But the Lord will unmask the one whom he is bringing to himself. He will, he will show him himself. And surely there is an admission there, and 
an acknowledgement of our need of um, healing from that great sin. And then you find the further step of the Lord persisting. He has, he has persisted. He has already persisted in, 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 he has persisted in his, in his, in his overtures to her, despite her efforts to repel him. And now having brought her to an understanding of her sin, having unmasked herself to herself, he is now going to lead her into the truth. Notice how she's still still seeking to is still seeking to repel him by changing the subject altogether. That's one way that we sometimes do that, seeking to wriggle out of the conviction. She speak on, goes on now to speak about the controversy, the religious controversy that exists between the Jew and her own people, the Samaritans. Really, it's to throw off the Savior's dealings with her. Notice how he corrects her. She's concerned about what, where she, she, she is now speaking to, to, in a way of throwing off this conviction. She's speaking of uh, the religious controversy. Who's right? You, your, your party or mine? Um, who is right about what is the right place of worship? We say Gerrit, 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 Mount Gerritson. You say Jerusalem. Which is right of the two? And the Lord says, that's not what matters. We're not hampered. We're not going to be hampered by physical objections or physical obstacles. What matters is the heart. And that's what he's pointing this woman who's now come to, a, come to know something of her sin. And he's pointing her to the need of a heart cleansing. Not just Mount, Mount Gerritson, not just Jerusalem. That's not what matters, says the Savior. What matters is that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, it's a matter of the heart. Oh, he's making known to her that it's the inner motives. It's in the inner motives that we need to be purified. That's what, we're, that's what the Savior must do. It's not just to make us no sin in a broad way. He comes closer. It's a matter of the heart. It's the heart we have parted from God. 
It's in the heart that we must be returned. It's in the inner motives, the motives that undergird our thoughts, that undergird our speech, and that undergird our actions. It's there that we must be put right. God is a spirit, and he deals with us in our motives, motives of the heart. And it's in the motives of the heart that the indwelling sin all takes up its residence and it hides itself from us. That's what makes it so, so it's such a deceitful thing. And the Lord will show us ourselves. You see, by, by, it hides itself from us or we hide ourselves from it so that we look at our lives and we look at just the outward. We say, I'm doing all right. And we become quite complacent. And Satan would lead us to accept that. He would flatter us in that way. But the Lord will show us that it's a matter of the heart. It's there that we need cleansing. And he's still speaking that to you and to me tonight. We can have actions that look upright. We can have speech that sounds upright. But what is the motive? What is the motive behind it? Is it the glory of God that we're seeking in our words? Is it the glory of God that we're seeking in our actions? Or is it self? Is it self that is there? Is it pride that is there? Is it self-sufficiency that is there? Is it ungodliness? The Lord points us there to the heart. They that worship him must worship him in spirit, heart religion, and in truth. And in truth, in accordance with the word in accordance with the truth. And he makes known to her that the Jews are more correct in that matter than are the Samaritans, because the Samaritans just had the Pentateuch, as I pointed out to you. The five books of the Old Testament, the first five books, whereas the Jew would have had all of the Old Testament scriptures. And it's to that word in its totality that we must look to show us ourselves and more importantly, to show us the one who has come to be the Messiah, the savior of souls. And amazingly, her thoughts are led to something that she has been taught maybe in her youth, something that's come even, even to the Samaritans who have just the limited Bible. I know that Messiah comes. And when he has come, he will teach us all things. Marvelously, the words are spoken. I that speak unto thee am he. Accompanied the Lord, man Christ Jesus, but indwelt by the spirit beyond measure, the word and spirit. I can't explain it. It's wonderful. But she came to know him, whom to know is life eternal. I that speak unto thee am he. 
It was a Raboni moment in her experience. She passed from death into life. She received him as her Messiah. And she could say later, as the men of Emmaus could say, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke beside us on the way. The word of truth was brought home. The other disciples came. They marveled that the Lord was speaking to such a woman. They didn't ask anything. She herself left her pitcher of water there. Or she had found greater, a greater pitcher of waters. She left in great excitement to go back to her village. The village where she would have been so greatly disowned. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Ah, he told her more than that. He told her about himself also. Is not this the Christ? What a word. And they went out to, they went out to see him. It was blessed to many in some area what had happened to her. And that must be the prayer and the plea of those who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ here tonight. To those who may still be seeking. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Come see a man who has redeemed me by his own precious blood, the believer can say. Come see the one of whom Nathaniel could say, Thou art the cry, thou art the Son of God, thou art the Saviour. <clears throat> Almighty, ever blessed, we thank thee for that word that is powerful, sharper than any two edged sword. We thank thee for the one who is the word incarnate. We thank thee that no man spoke as he spoke. We thank thee that he is enthroned in heaven as the one who became dead in our nature, as the sin bearer and the one made sin for us. We thank thee that he himself is still saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Make him precious to us. In his passion, in his finished work, and in the sufficiency and suitability of his blood-bought grace, the glory shall be thine. As we journey on in our pilgrimage, that we would not be ones who would be shown our sin, 
and it's deserving when it is too late, when we turn up at the bar of judgment, but that we would see it now, but that alongside it, we would see the one who stood in our Roman place, in the Roman place of lost sinners, and who is waiting to be gracious, whose promise is that whosoever cometh unto him, he will in no wise cast out. Receive us in our worship, in his name. Amen.